My name is Joe McKechnie. I'm so blessed to be the pastor here. And we're so glad that you are worshiping with us this Sunday morning. Now, on the TV show Mythbusters, the host of the show would investigate urban legends or myths. And they would use, I guess, scientific methods to figure out if the statement was, in fact, a myth or if it was a truth. It really made for some riveting television. In our series, Mythbusters, we're doing kind of the same thing. We're looking at various common viewpoints to examine whether the statement is a myth or whether it is true. Last week, we looked at the statement, faith and science cannot exist. You can check out that message on chaparroswell.com. We concluded, though, that it is, in fact, a myth that faith and science can be very, very compatible. I mentioned last week that when I look back to my high school days, science was far from my best subject. In fact, uh, I only remember a few things from science in high school. A couple of them are this. Um, why didn't the protein, or excuse me, why didn't the protons and the neutrons like hanging out with the electrons? Because the electrons were always so negative. Yeah, that'll, that'll hit you some later on. Why didn't the sun go to college? Because it already had a million degrees. Um, now there's one more, but I'm going to skip it. No. Uh, but uh, this morning, uh, let's go back anyway. How, yeah, how do Earth, Saturn, and Neptune organize a party? How do Earth, Saturn, and Neptune organize a party? They plan it. Was that worth it or not? Probably not. <laughs> With all that said, this morning, though, we tackle a really difficult, often controversial subject, although truthfully, I'm not really sure if this really needs to be that divisive. So here is this morning's myth. Is it really a myth or is it a fact? Here we go. Creationism and evolution are incompatible. This statement comes up a lot at school board meetings across the country. A school system will have maybe science textbooks that might anger a lot of Christians because the books focus on evolution instead of creationism. Creationism, in our definition this morning, is this. Creationism is the belief that God created the world and everything in it, including humans, in the literal span of a week as we read in the book of Genesis. 
So the myth we'll look at this morning, creationism and evolution are incompatible. Is this a truth? Is it a myth? We're going to dive into that very topic. Now, as with any of our myth buster comments, okay, uh, maybe they could be divisive. Maybe some of you will disagree with one another. Maybe you'll disagree with me. Uh, one thing I do want to point out, though, is that John Wesley, he was the founder of the Methodist movement. He lived in the, the mid-1700s. He realized that not all of his peers would always agree with things that he was saying. They, they would often disagree on certain theological issues, but he said, you know, that shouldn't create division. So John Wesley, true story, he was the one who coined the phrase, agree to disagree. In some cases, that's what we have to do. Now, let me set the record straight on a couple of things, okay? And I say this regardless of one's opinion on this issue. Uh, many people at times will argue that evolution is just a theory, and therefore, it's not fact. It's just a theory. After all, when you have a theory, when I have a theory, it means that maybe we have a, a hunch about something. We feel uh, something about something. But in the scientific community, that would be referred to as a hypothesis. You see, a scientific theory is one that has been tested over and over in time and is supported by a lot of evidence, okay? Think of gravitational theory. It states that if you're holding an apple and you drop it, it's going to fall to the ground. That's not a hypothesis. That's a scientific fact. It's referred to, though, as gravitational theory. Another myth I want to point out, again, regardless of your opinion or my opinion about the concept of evolution, one thing we have to get straight. Many people think that the theory of evolution states that us humans are descendants of monkeys, but truthfully, evolution doesn't make that claim at all. The theory of evolution does state that all life on the planet is related. If you go back far enough, you'll come to a common creation. And therefore, some would argue that that refers to, therefore, a common creator. So let's look at scripture this morning. We're going to go back to the beginning. Genesis 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth... Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Now Genesis will go on to tell us about God's creation for the first six days and God therefore rested on the seventh day. So uh, with that said, with what we read, uh, does the theory of evolution fly in the face of biblical narrative? Uh, some people would say absolutely it does. They, they would say that Genesis says that the world was created in the span of seven days. Okay, evolution, on the other hand, uh, often says that, 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 that the creation took place over the span of, of tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe even over millions of years. Now, before we jump to conclusions one way or the other, I want to look back at the passage we just read. Now, one thing we have to ask ourselves, is Genesis a science book that explains how certain things were formed? Is Genesis a, a history book that explains the specific time frame of certain events? It's important to note that in the second chapter of Genesis, 
There's another creation account, but it's different than the one we read in Genesis 1. So does Genesis actually contradict itself? I don't think so. We need to look at the intent of the passage that we just read. Is Genesis a literal account of what happened? Now, many scholars will say no, but but before we unpack that, I think the intent of Genesis 1 is incredibly clear. Whether you're a scientist who says, I don't have any need for faith, or you're someone who has grown up in the church, there are several things that we take from the theological intention of Genesis 1. Okay, God and God alone created all things. That's what we read in Scripture. God is sovereign over all creation. That's what we read in Genesis. God created our world with wisdom and order. That's what we read in Genesis. God created humankind as the pinnacle of God's creation made, the Scripture says, in his image. That's what I think God wants us to take away from the biblical creation story. Now, if one would dare say that the passage is not meant to be taken literally, is is that weakening the authority of Scripture? No, I don't think so at all. Throughout the Bible, we find a wide variety of literary styles and types. We, we have poetry, which is a beautiful prose to reveal deep theological truths. We find genealogies, which help us understand the historical timetable of what's taking place. We have historical books, which do speak of the literal history of things that have taken place. We have apocalyptic literature, like Revelation, for example, which uses symbols and imagery to prompt people into action. So is Genesis 1 meant to be taken literally or is it allegorical? And can the concept of evolution be compatible with Scripture? A lot of Christians, a lot of scientists, they'll both agree. Yes, they can be compatible. Now, if you were to go back in time, okay, to the time in which Genesis was first recorded, was first written, we actually find a lot of other creation stories of a lot of pagan religions coming from that same time. In fact, the book of Genesis came after a lot of those creation accounts that were being spread throughout the ancient Near East before Genesis was written. You see, these pagan gods, these pagan people had these mythological forces that formed the world in their viewpoint, and many of their accounts of creation sound very similar to Genesis. What do we make of that? You see, the pagan gods, they they were distant, they were inactive, we know they weren't even real. Uh, These pagan gods would often go to war and battle against one another. Uh, The pagan people worshipped a a myriad of pagan gods, but uh, they also worshipped the sun and they worshipped the moon. The the pagan people thought that their future was controlled by uh, the positions of planets and stars. The pagan people believed that human beings were created to provide food for the gods and to be slaves to the gods. People, according to their pagan mythology, was just an afterthought. Therefore, infant sacrifice was a fairly commonplace amongst a lot of the pagan worship of that time. And so, see, the author of Genesis is using language and scenarios that we find in other creation stories. Why? Because the author of Genesis, okay, it's God speaking through people who would understand it at that time in a certain way. The author of Genesis makes this incredibly brilliant observation and a huge, a terribly huge distinction. 
our God we find in Genesis, the one true God created all that we know. Our God, the one true God, loves his creation and is active in the lives of his people. Our God, the one true God, is the same whom we are called to worship. And that's what sets the Genesis account apart from the other pagan legends. And that's huge. Genesis seeks to convey theology and not necessarily history or science. As we talked about last week, science seeks to answer how certain things took place. But you see, Scripture is seeking to answer different questions. Scripture seeks to answer who and why. You see, the author of Genesis is not trying to answer questions posed by modern science because back then there was no modern science. I think his point was this. Don't worship the sun and don't worship the moon. Don't look to the stars for guidance. God is God. God, our God, the one true God, made everything. Why? Because he loves his creation and therefore he loves his people. Many would say that Genesis isn't referring to a a literal day. Rather, God is being very orderly, very deliberate, very intentional about the work that's taking place through his creation. Did it literally take place over the span of a a literal seven-day week, or, or could the word day refer to a longer period of time? In 2 Peter 3.8, this is what we find. Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. So scripture tells us who. It was God. But but Genesis isn't seeking to answer how. And I think when we understand that, we don't find ourselves being forced to choose between faith and science. In fact, to the contrary, I think that we can see them quite compatible. And that's the view that many Christian leaders hold true. Here's a A quote I used last week, I want to throw it at you again. It's from a very well-renowned Christian. This is what he writes. I don't think that there's any conflict at all between science today and the scriptures. I think that we have often misinterpreted the scriptures many times, and we've tried to make the scriptures say things they weren't meant to say. I think that we have made a mistake by thinking the Bible is a scientific book. The Bible is not a book of science. The the Bible is a book of redemption. And of course, I accept the creation story. I believe that God did create the universe. I believe that God created man. And whether it came by an evolutionary process and at a certain point, he took this person or being and made him a living soul or not, it doesn't change the fact that God did create mankind. Whether which way God did it makes no difference as to what man is and man's relationship to God. Who made this statement? Some radical out there? No, it's actually the one and only Billy Graham. He's been called the greatest evangelist of all time. He he certainly is, is old school, but he wasn't threatened by modern science. To the contrary, he saw much of it as proof of God's creation, God's work, God's presence, and God's activity. So it's important to remember that having a scientific explanation for some phenomenon doesn't mean that God had nothing to do with it. For example, like I said, I don't have the best or the brightest scientific mind, but I do enough understand biology to to know where babies come from. Okay, 
lot of us do. Uh, but, but that doesn't alter my belief that a baby is truly a gift from God. That God knits them together, the scripture says, in the mother's womb. Does, does scripture go, go against my belief of biology? Well, no, absolutely not. So too, the fact that we've discovered some natural causes for the development of life doesn't mean that God had nothing to do with it. Could God use evolution for the development of life on earth under his guidance to lovingly create human beings who are unique and made in his image? Honestly, I think a lot of Christian leaders feel that God could use any process that he wants to. Now, it often gets a little bit dicey, I think, when we proclaim that faith and science can't be compatible. If, if you think of a young person, for example, who grows up in the church and maybe he or she hears that Genesis is, a, a, let's just say, a literal account of the creation story. The, the world is only a few thousand years old. And many people who are smarter than I certainly claim and believe this viewpoint. I completely understand that. Uh, but let's say in our example, this, this young person then goes off to, to college and he hears about fossils that are way, way older than 6,000 years and, and that evolution is just a widely held belief that, that, that spits in the face of their faith. And, and that student, therefore, is essentially being forced to choose one over the other. And that often means that young people wander away from their faith. I know, there are some scientists who have no room for faith. They view Christianity as nothing more than some sort of silly superstition. Those scientific minds are way, way wrong. Science deals with the natural, I get that. But our God, you see, works in the supernatural. As I noted last week, more than half of the scientists in the United States have a belief in God, so we can see that, that many scientists do have room in their understanding for faith. And likewise, as we pointed out last week, there are a lot of Christian leaders who have room for modern science in their theology. And so science isn't some sort of sinister enterprise aimed at destroying our faith. Rather, it's an honest exploration of the wonderful world that I know God has created. Does that mean that all science is correct? No, of course not. We're continually unearthing new discoveries. So uh, what may be a really big scientific truth today may not be a scientific, scientific truth tomorrow. But through the centuries, the Christian church has not only accepted and embraced science, the church actually has promoted and even led scientific discoveries. Even before Charles Darwin espoused his scientific understandings, the church understood that science and faith can, in fact, be compatible. Even Darwin himself, who didn't hold any religious beliefs at all, he said that his work in science does seem to point to some sort of creator. After all, there's order, not chaos, in the creation of the world. Our God is a God of order and not chaos. Though many people like to maybe focus on Christian hostility towards evolutionary theory, a careful look at history actually reveals some really surprising facts. Uh, for example, the, the first American scientist to carefully review and publicly support some of Darwin's findings, he was a devout Christian named Asa Gray. He is now regarded as one of the most prominent American biologists of the 19th century. He was an incredibly strong believer 
in the work of God. And he says that evolution points to the majestic work of a loving creator. So as I mentioned last week, science and scripture, they can totally coexist because they aren't seeking to answer the same questions. So we've been looking at the statement, creationism, evolution are incompatible. I think that biblical study and theological understanding shows that such a statement is, in fact, a myth. It's not truth. Is it possible to be a Christian and believe in elements of evolution? Absolutely. As long as evolution refers to a biological theory and not some sort of secular philosophy, which is what in many cases it does to some people. We understand that it may be a process which God has used to lovingly create and guide his creation. God created all that we know, and God created humanity. In fact, Scripture says that humankind, that you and I, were made in the image of God. So, friends, we live in a big and beautiful world, but the creator of all of this, the creator of everything that we know and see and can imagine, uh, the creator of the universe lovingly created you. Because of sin, unfortunately, our world has shame and pain and disease and death. But God loves us so much that he provides a way for us to be saved, for us to be rescued, for us to be redeemed. Even in the book of Genesis, at the very beginning, as sin enters the perfect creation that God has provided, God has already set in motion our salvation, our redemption, and our opportunity at eternal life. You see, that's the truth, friends, that we need to be living out. Regardless of how God created the world, regardless of how God created humankind, we are grateful for the fact that he did and that his power and love is at work in your life and in my life. You see, that's the good news that we're called to live out. That's the good news that we already see working in the very beginning in the work of Genesis. We're called to live out that good news are we? Let's pray. Dear most gracious and loving God, if the only thing you did was create us to, to give us life, my goodness, that would be such great news. But Father God, you didn't stop there. The scripture says that you desire relationship with us and you provide the way to make that happen. We thank you for the gift of new life, to exchange our old for the brand new, to see our sin and shame washed away. Lord God, Scripture assures us that you are making us more and more like Jesus. You are transforming our lives. That's the good news of the gospel. May we hear that good news. May we accept that good news. May we say yes to that good news. May we live out that good news. We love you, Lord God, and we thank you for first loving us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we wrap up our time together this morning, I'm going to uh, invite you to stand. And, and we talk about through the creation account, the creation story, that we have a loving God who knows us, who leads us, who guides us, who saves us, who forgives us.
And as we stand and sing this final song this morning, as we, we hear what God is telling us about ourselves, what God has in mind for you, what God is telling me, I pray that we can boldly live that out. So let's stand together and sing, You Say.